Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spleichel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spleichel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel. We're happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is creating a customer experience that will have your customers happily raving. This week's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Blend Commerce, an e-commerce customer experience agency. He and his team have been worked with over 200 Shopify retailers to help them provide memorable customer experiences that drive growth and revenue and profit. A big welcome to Adam Pierce. Hi, Adam. Hi, Andy. How are you? Well, thanks for joining us. We're, we're excited to, to talk about how our listeners can increase their customer experience. And to start with, can you define what you mean by creating a memorable customer experience? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, for me, in terms of creating a memorable customer experience, it's about making sure that all of those, I guess, sticking points or points where, you know, a customer might be confused upset, frustrated, any kind of negative feelings that you are trying to mitigate. So that's really, you know, right from before even a customer decides to really start shopping on your store all the way through to their final purchase. So looking at all those struggling moments all the way through and saying, right, how do I make sure that people are less likely to hit those struggling moments? And what can I do in terms of my on-site, my post-email, my post-sale marketing, uh, even through to your acquisition side of things, all of those moments where you think, look, actually the customer might be feeling X at this point, let's help them feel better about that or or avoid actually getting to that point where they are feeling frustrated or upset. And how does providing a great customer experience correlate to increasing customer lifetime value? I mean, are, are there some numbers that you've been able to to kind of put on this correlation? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the the, the key thing there that we look at is we're looking at customer lifetime value. So, you know, rather than I think, you know, we, we've kind of in e-commerce developed this kind of fascination with conversion rate. And look, conversion rate is always going to be important. But mm-hmm. the problem is, is that that is only a very small part of the picture. And when you're looking, you know, at LTV, you're also looking at purchase frequency. You're also looking at your acquisition cost. And look, you know, unless you've been hiding under a rock for the past 12 months, everyone will have seen, you know, the acquisition has got a lot more difficult, I think, is is the first thing to do. Uh, And then the second thing to say with that is that it has become a heck of a lot more expensive. So, yes, acquisition still needs to happen. But when you bring someone into your funnel or into, um, you know, your, your purchase cadence, you need to give them a better experience. It's going to mean they're going to remain, remain there longer because ultimately, you know, retention and acquisition budgets, realistically, you know, I think what the, the key thing now is, is trading off 
some of that acquisition budget towards retention. So what that might in practical terms is that, hey, look, you know, we're not going to be spending $10,000 a month now on Facebook ads, but what we are going to do is maybe be spending $5,000, but then transferring that other 5,000 into retention. So that might be customer service platform like Gorgeous or Zendesk, where it might be. Um, you know, looking at basically your post-purchase experience. So, you know, are you investing more in the packaging in terms of inserts inside your packaging so that when those customers you are bringing in are receiving your products and are going through that process with you, you're more likely to then get them to, to be a, a, um, a loyal customer. And, and in, in I guess going to be from a numbers perspective, we classify a loyal customer as someone who has purchased four times. That's really kind of our golden number when we're sort of looking at the, the data for a client and saying, right, how many customers have you got to that full purchase level? What are we doing in order to make sure we A, retain them, but B, try and increase their purchase frequency? And of course, all of those things then will increase the LTV. And regardless of whether you are running your business for profit, which obviously most people are, or if you are thinking about, look, this is a brand that we're going to build and then sell, those numbers are going to be important to, to both groups of people. I guess my question really is, is how are you tracking? I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of things you can do as far as a couple of systems that are in place or, or is putting in flyers, but are you just consistently, you're tracking the frequency, the purchase frequency and the lifetime value? And even is it lifetime value or is it more of kind of a, an annual customer value that you're tracking? Because if you're yeah. looking to get four times in, in a year. Yeah, sure. So we we actually track on a, on a month to month basis, but also on an annual level. So essentially what we, we do is that we kind of have a, a very simple sort of Excel file, which we store all of the data in for the clients, which basically are the eight different metrics that we use to create the LTV number. So what we're essentially doing then each month is saying, right, the projected LTV for this this client for you know the next 12 months is looking at this level mm -hmm. the past month these metrics have increased what do we attribute to their increase so like it might be purchase frequency it might be conversion rate we need to make sure that we're tracking that we are saying like what is the attribution to those particular factors because what we can do then is say well either a let's do more of that thing again or b if that metric has gone down what is the reason that has gone down? And that's come up with a new hypothesis of something we can do to increase that number. So it gives you a lot more, I think, as a merchant to play with. And I think also when you're kind of looking at that calculation, you start seeing the impact of each of those measures on your overall LTV number. So it gives you more dimensions to play with of increasing the LTV. So it doesn't have to be that you are look consistently increasing that conversion rate. You can pick one of the other you know, six or seven metrics that are there to help you get to that bigger overall number. So tracking it month to month towards an overall annual goal, absolutely. But equally then, you know, for us, for example, when we work with a client, we will essentially say to client, look, your LTV at the moment, uh, you know, say is $6,000. Um, actually, what we want to do in 12 months is to get that projected LTV to be $8,000. So that's kind of the way that we work from an agency perspective to kind of say, look, this is what we're going to do when we're working with you as a client. That's that kind of all-star metric. Do you find it difficult to track? Because I would assume that there's there's a lag on stuff you do, especially when you're trying to increase customer frequency. I mean, if they just bought, 
you know, are they going to buy again next week or, or is it going to take a couple months? Um, that's one of the big, biggest issues. I know when you do your Facebook ads or, or I, I'm run, you know, Google shopping ads for, for private clients, but you know, it's easy with conversion rate, you know, you mm -hmm. make a change, they click a button, they add it and you can, you can see the conversion rate, but I would think with yours that there's going to be a lag in those numbers. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, you know, typically, you know, you are, you know, for an implementation that we would usually do, you're going to be looking at pretty much kind of, you know, an eight to 12 week time frame to see that come through. And obviously the attribution of those individual activities, you know, is sometimes difficult to, to track. So when you're kind of looking at numbers, that's why we will kind of say, look, we'll report to a client month to month what the mm -hmm. current state is based on the data. But we are saying to our clients, look, we're on this program together, you know, for the 12 month period as a minimum, because ultimately we need that time to be able to see whether actually these things are happening. And I think that is, you know, it, I don't know about you, Andy, but I think that is one of the, I guess, the most trickiest things about e-commerce and that, you know, when merchants want to grow their store, they want to see that the things that are happening, that they're doing is having that immediate impact. Yeah. Quick wins, quick wins. Absolutely. And, you know, from, from a, from an implementation point of view, of course, there are things you, you can do that, that can sort of change things overnight, but majority of things that you're going to do are going to be a, a longer burn. And I think that's the tricky thing, you know, that when you're you're working with agency is that you have to be in that position where you can say, look, I am willing to, you know, look at this over an annual period or at least a six month period to see whether these implementations have happened, have actually made an impact. But that, that's difficult, you know, it, it, I guess with anyone, you know, whatever service that you, you know, go for, whether you're talking about someone coming to build a house for you, or whether you're talking about, you know, Google ads, or you're talking about whatever it might be, you're always going to have that lag in terms of the impact. But it's that difficult, I guess, relationship between agents and clients is that we are kind of asking for that time, but clients want it sooner. I don't think I'm ever going to solve that. Um, but I think, you know, the main thing is that we're, Agencies, I think, need to be very open up front at the start about how long things are going to take, because I think the expectation is, you know, that when when someone contacts an agency, they have a problem they want to fix now. In reality, those problems don't get fixed in a week or, or a month. How many things do you typically implement at once, given that lag? I mean, how if you're implementing a bunch of stuff, then you, you don't know what's driving the sales or maybe something's driving it, uh, something you've added to the site, but you've implemented three things and something's taken away and you're getting flat. I mean, how do you, how do you get around that? Are you only implementing one thing like a month? Or are you implementing numerous? I mean, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, no, it's a really good point, actually. And I, and I think that's one that's definitely worth talking about. So you know, if I think about a client that we're working with at the moment, so they are um, kind of a healthcare brand. Now with them, what we've kind of identified is look, we have, we look at their customers from a, an RFM perspective. So recency, frequency, and monetary, and we essentially rate them on those three numbers and get an overall number. What, what, what were those? Like, I'm sorry. What were those numbers? Recency, sorry, frequency, uh, so and... and monetary. So essentially how much military uh, monetary. So how much they've spent from a, a cash perspective. And what we do is we score them on a rating of zero of one to five. Mm -hmm. So with those numbers, we then get this RFM number. So what the RFN number is, is then essentially rating each of the customers that you have 
to be of a particular quality. So with each of those groups that you've got, we basically identified that this particular brand at the moment, they have a, a, a bit of a problem in the sense that the customers that have shot with them twice are then actually not going to then the third purchase. So it's kind of like, you know, that's an issue we've got to solve because ultimately we want to get into that third purchase and forth and so on and so forth. So specifically with that one, what we've done is that we've used an implementation for a net promoter score survey at basically the end of the checkout process for that second purchase. Uh What we then do, I've then got another net promoter score. How do you get people to fill that out? Um, Now, it's interesting. NPS um, is an interesting one because... A lot of the time people go, well, look, are people going to take a survey? Because the surveys that we're doing are only really consist of two to three questions, we actually get a 30 to 40% completion rate on those. Hmm. So, you know, if you're talking about, you know, a brand that is doing, you know, sort of significant sales, which, you know, most brands Yeah, that's, that's are, pretty good. You know, what, yeah, what kind of questions are you asking? So the, the, the one that will go out immediately after the purchase what we are asking them about there is that how would you rate your experience on the store today? Now, what then happens if the, if they rate that experience lower than a two, what then happens is an additional public question that just says, was there anything particularly that you think we could improve? And then there's basically a, um, a free text um, block there that they can just type in whatever it might be. Uh, now, but if, if they're lower rating at lower than a two, are they making their purchase? Well, that's the interesting thing. So, you know, you will get people completing that second purchase because what they tend to say is that, look, I really like the product, but what really sucks at the moment is the fact that I was also looking for X other product and it wasn't in stock. Now, you know, that's that's an inventory problem, but you, you'll get a lot of comments on there, for example, about payment options. Um, it's interesting, you know, with some brands, um, when you've kind of played around with kind of using Apple Pay and Google Pay and all those kind of things, and you're looking at transactions and the transaction you know, level is very low, saying something like Apple Pay or Google Pay, you'll then start when you remove it to then see that actually people are getting a little bit frustrated because they want to do everything in that way. Yeah, you know, I think it's a similar one. You know, some brands, you know, a couple of years ago tried to move away from PayPal. It was pretty catastrophic for a lot of brands because there is so much trust. I guess within PayPal in terms of that security mm-hmm. that people wanted that back. So, you know, it's it's these little things that happen. But then the the, the important thing off the back of that and is saying, well, look, you're always going to get someone who maybe want will bring up you know one thing. And of course, you can't you're not going to please everyone. But when you start seeing trends in those things that are there, you know, in terms of that qualitative information you've got, you're then going to do that follow up. So, you know, for us, that will be actually making a client call. Um, if you have either access to the telephone number or basically getting an email from the custom service team to say that we want to find out a bit more about what the, the issues right. were on the site and then getting them to fill in either a type form um, or kind of a survey to get a bit more information. So then that basically dictates once you've done that piece of, right, what are the, the struggling moments here on the site? Okay, you know, we've had six people say this week, that actually the issue that they're seeing is that we don't have this payment option. Let's run an A-B test on that to see whether that payment option is now worthwhile. So it is a lot more work, I think, involved when you kind of bring in that quality data, but it is very much worthwhile. But I think going back to your initial question on in terms of implementation, at the same time with that, what we've also got 
is we've also then got A-B tests running on certain product pages. Mm -hmm. So as long as the tests that you are then doing are only being shown to either the correct group of customers that you are trying to test for, or is essentially totally unrelated to the product that you've got, you can actually, you know, most moments in time, be running six to seven, what we would call research projects at a time on a site. Because typically, you know, with us, we're looking at retention. When customers come into a site, we know who they are because the mm. fact is, you know, look, they will have an email account with us, which we can track them through that. And then we can serve up different pages to them in different A-B tests based on the different cohort that they come for. So I think it's, again, this is the thing, you know, with retention is that, I think every brand can do it, but it absolutely works better when you are that level where you do have a significant amount of initial customers, because ultimately right. you know, it's got to, it's, you playing the numbers game. Right. Yeah. No, you, you got to have the data to test for sure. Now absolutely. I, I hear e-commerce business owners often wondering how can they compete with Amazon? And I'm curious, do you believe that providing a better customer service is one of the ways that that can be done? I, I do for some brands, and, and I'll go into detail on that now. I think the, you know, the, the thing with Amazon is, is that ultimately what they have hooked the world on is A, convenience, mm -hmm. and B, is speed, and C, to a lesser extent, is price. You know, And I think that kind of varies. So ultimately there are going to be times when Amazon isn't able to give you the additional what you need to get that customer over the line. Because I think, you know, with, with your everyday items, you know, with your, your, your low basket orders, so kind of sub sort of, you know, $35, $40, you know, Amazon is going to have a pretty good go at that. But I think the problem is, is that, you know, when it comes to thinking about, look, trying to, you know, sort of to beat Amazon or to, to compete with that, is it's more about when you've got that family of products. And that's certainly what we've seen is that brands who were on Amazon, who then wanted to expand into going into DTC, they were doing very well with one essentially blockbuster product. Mm -hmm. and the issue was, is that because people were just seeing it as, look, we're buying this from Amazon, the initial thought wasn't then actually, I want to then go and check out the other products this, this particular Amazon seller has to offer. So I think, you know, if you are a brand that is, look, you know, has got maybe two or three SKUs, great. I think Amazon, you know, is probably the way to go. But if you are a brand that is, you know, sort of 10 SKUs plus, where basically all those products are interrelated, you're, you, you can only obviously do so much from a marketing point of view with Amazon. So being able to then go in and give that customer's experience in terms of explaining to them, right, when their order's coming, all that good stuff, you know, mm -hmm. when it's been like Amazon do, but it's then those next level of product recommendations and that kind of touch of, right, okay, this is what the brand's about. This is how that product is manufactured. These are, this is this a story about the founders behind it? Right, the, ex the expertise on the product that you can't absolutely. really get on your Amazon page as a seller. Absolutely. And I think you know, that that is the key. But, you know, ultimately, I think it is a tricky move that, you know, some Amazon brands have, have unfortunately failed at, you know, because ultimately, look, they want their margins to be better than having to sell through a marketplace. But, you know, some things, you know, just don't, like I say, under that $35 mark, we found it tricky when brands have tried to do that and go completely DTC. It just doesn't make sense for them. Now let's talk about some of the actual clients of yours and what you were able 
to do for them? Let's let's hear what's uh, what's your favorite case study you could share. Yeah, so I think um, one of my favorite case studies I could share is actually a, a food brand in the UK that we work with called Hunter and Gather. Um, now, with these guys, yeah, it's an interesting one because they are essentially a condiments brand. So sauces, um, rubs, and they also do kind of supplements as well. And what they essentially have is a very diverse customer base. They have people following a paleo diet, carnivore diet, keto, people who are just kind of curious about actually what it is, but, you know, what are these products they're selling? So they were, they were in, I guess, in the tricky situation whereby they were having people come to the store who either were very um, knowledgeable about mm-hmm. the particular they were following, but they didn't scale. They had people who were curious. Well, I don't really know what paleo is. I mean, I've heard about keto, carnival, what's that? So you kind of in this difficult position where you're trying to tailor something to that wide group of customers and it's how do you do it? And one of the things that was pretty critical for those guys is that when people were looking at navigation, what we saw from the the kind of hot jar reports and the heat mapping software was that people were genuinely, literally getting stuck on the navigation. They were just sat there. You could see the users were hovering and saying, look, where do I actually go? Mm-hmm. So you could argue that where you can, you know, you can kind of cut it down, put it into categories. The one thing that worked very well for these guys was actually by under that navigation, including a button that says, not sure where to start, take our quiz. Now, what that then did is that when you clicked on that, it asked you about six questions about your lifestyle, about if you were following a particular diet, your tastes and preferences in terms, you know, sweet, savory, do you like particular flavors, whatever it might be. And then as a result of that, you were then given a recommendation of three products that essentially we thought were a great fit for you. Now, what was interesting on that is that number one, that sent through their email sign up through the roof, because before what they were doing is that they were literally having a, a very small slide in at the end of the bottom of the page. With this, what you were then seeing is that people were obviously giving their email address because they wanted that information. Uh-huh. Secondly, that quiz also converted at 26%. So their conversion rate on the store was about 3.2. You then compare that with people that have completed the quiz. It's like, wow, yeah, that, that's a pretty significant difference in terms of what they do. And then finally, the other thing was, is that- so because- I'm sorry, did you say people that completed the quiz were at 26%? Absolutely. Wow. Which, you know, is, is and, and ultimately that, that wasn't the key driver. And what, what percentage of visitors were taking the quiz? So in terms of the new visitors to the site, you were getting 52% of people were taking that quiz, which wow. again you know, was incredible because, and I think that was, that was the key thing as well. We only showed that to new okay. customers. Mm-hmm. So you didn't kind of have this situation where, you know, existing customers were being given that because effectively your education piece was done. But the other side of it too is that, look, because that data is then sent back to the email platform, so in this case it was Clavio, um, what you could then do is personalize your welcome flows and all your other emails based on that information. So let Sandy know you wouldn't took it and you said, look, I follow paleo, um, I like garlic, I like spicy, your welcome email that you got will be different to mine in the sense that I would be giving you five tips of how to follow a paleo lifestyle. If yeah. it was me, I was saying carnivore, I would have a different piece of content in there. 
equally the products I'm recommending to you in that welcome email are going to be different to mine. So it's not that sort of, you know, I guess kind of personalization, people get a bit creeped out by it. For me, what personalization means is you're giving something to that customer, which feels like your brand is speaking directly to them. Yeah. yeah and that you're able to segment that way. Absolutely. Now you mentioned hot jar. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious, what is a piece of actionable advice that you could give listeners to improve their customer service? W- would it be measuring with something like Hotjar or would you start somewhere else? My, my honest feeling is, and th- I think this is, this is you know, looking at from any, any size brand, I would say go out there and look at your, your customers and just get your list of your top 20 customers in the past 90 days. So what I mean by that is basically just look at it from a monetary point of view, who has bought the most of us in the past 90 days, take those 20 customers and then do one or two things. One is email those customers and say, Hey, we, as one of our value customers, we love to get you on a call and talk about your experience with shopping with us. And in exchange for this, we'd like to give you a $50 gift card for your time. That's one option. The other option is you can do it in kind of an automated survey. So, you know, if you think about that, that's a thousand dollars that you would you essentially have to spend, but the level of information you are going to get from those 20 customers is going to be phenomenal. And what are you going to ask them? Hmm. it's got to, you know, ultimately everything that we're doing in e-com, we are are essentially looking at people's reactions to things that we do on site. So if we just sit down and ask them, that's a great way to be. And it doesn't, you know, in some cases, look, when you've you've built a very strong community, maybe you're kind of a, you're a a brand that isn't at that level where maybe you want to do that. Um, Brands with kind of a strong social media presence, a lot of the time, customers because they're kind of fanatical about the brand will want to get on that call anyway and feel like they've kind of got a good piece of the action being able to you know essentially kind of dictate where that brand is going mm-hmm. so i i just feel like that you know we we do something called a jobs to be done survey uh with quite a few of our clients and what we essentially do is have hour-long meetings with some of their key customers now that's obviously more expensive to do more time more time consuming but even if you can get those 30 minute slots in the, just the level of information, you know, just little things like, for example, you know, when people give an answer, hearing their tonality in their voice makes you realize the importance of that particular thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the kind of things that are, unfortunately sometimes brands do miss out on. Yeah, no, that is, that's some great advice. Now, if you had a crystal ball, where would you see, the importance of providing a great customer experience going over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the reason it's going to be so important in the next 12, 18 months, because it doesn't really matter, you know, where you're on the world, the economy isn't great now. Um, you know, for me, as someone living in the UK right now, inflation very high, cost of living is very expensive. There is a situation, you know, where people are making, you know, questions about the purchases that they are going to have. So ultimately, you know, and I, and I think it's, you know, if we can learn anything from kind of the COVID period is that, yes, you know, while online shopping went up, there was a lot of loyalty to existing brands that people were shopping with because of the fact that we were looking for that, I guess, kind of sense of normality and that sense of reliability mm-hmm. that no one really had in their lives. So if you think about the recession, we're going to be in a similar time where there is going to be uncertainty. 
if you've got that brand that consistently does deliver on time, good quality products, good customer service, then ultimately those are the brands that are going to win. You know, in a time when people are questioning their purchases more, they are the ones that brand that customers are going to look to to say, well, actually, yes, we need to be in that position where we are giving more in terms of what people get from the experience of buying the product. Is it going to be reliable in terms of getting it rather than just kind of saying, you know, well, actually we'll go out there and we'll find any new brand that happens to come along. We might get targeted on Facebook. I just think, you know, that's the reason why now it's important to start making these moves to build those relationships up with your customers to get those ongoing purchases. Hey, what's up there? This is Andy. I wanted to take a quick break from the show and talk to you for just one minute. You probably know that I've been called the world's foremost expert in e-commerce growth strategies. But have you ever wondered how I gained all this knowledge? First, you probably guessed it. It's through all the years of interviews I've done with experts and uber successful throughout the e-commerce space right here on the Make Each Click Count podcast. And second, it's through all the courses that are available at Make Each Click Count University. From Facebook to Google Ads to Pinterest to SEO, if you are looking to grow your business by either adding a new marketing channel or by optimizing an existing marketing channel like an expert, go to www.makeeachclickcountuniversity.com forward slash classes. There you will find a course that will help you become an expert in whatever marketing channel you currently need help. Better yet, Choose more than one. Join Make Each Click Count University and join me and other marketing professionals live once a month at our monthly marketing members-only meeting. Again, you can view all courses at www.makeeachclickcountuniversity.com forward slash classes. Now, let's get back to the show. Now, let me ask you personally, one of my favorite questions I ask every podcast guest, but are there any business books out there that you can attribute to your journey as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge fan of Mike Michalowicz. Um, I've had the pleasure of, of interviewing him a couple of times, but the, there's two books that he's written that I would say that have definitely contributed. Uh, one is called The Pumpkin Plan, which I would highly recommend any entrepreneur to read. Um, reason being is that it, it actually makes you, I, I would say, a, a, a lot more critical about how you actually plan out your business mm-hmm. and makes you realize that actually you know, in situations you are going to have multiple ideas in terms of the way your business is going to look. But sometimes you just need to kill certain things off to be able to focus on the core things that are growing. And that essentially is the principle of the book is that, you know, look, at pumpkin farmers, what they will essentially do is kill off the weaker looking pumpkins to make sure that the ones that are looking better grow into those bigger prize winning pumpkins. So that's definitely one. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about this book, but for me, you know, the, the, the absolute core cool one that, that made me really start the business was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Now I am nowhere near that four hour work week. Um, but I think, you know, what, what that book definitely did do is teach me a lot about efficiency and in terms of how you spend your time and how you structure your time and really not, not dwelling on things that don't need to be dwelled upon. So for me, those are two very, very important books to me. Now let's switch gears again and and talk about your company, Blend Commerce. What verticals do you specialize in working with and how are you different from the competitors? Yeah, so from us, from a a vertical perspective, there's kind of four key areas for us. Uh, One is pets. 
So in terms of pet food, pet accessories. Mm -hmm. um, the second one that we do a lot with is food. Thirdly, fast moving consumer goods. Um, and then finally, the other one that we do quite a lot in is kind of health and wellness as well. What's so an we example of a fast moving consumer good? So fast moving consumer goods. So we might be talking about, you know, um, phone cases. We might be talking about, you know, lower cost fashion. Uh, we might be talking about cooler cups, like a Yeti kind of brand, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So basically just kind of, I guess, lower value um you know purchases of general goods essentially um you know we we don't really kind of play um really kind of in the the kind of the upper end apparel game and the reason is because look in terms of those those verticals that i mentioned they are a lot more prime for gaining a really kind of a customer base that is repeatable so we do a lot with kind of brands that have subscriptions we do a lot with brands that are really looking you know, to get to that fifth, sixth, seventh purchase down the line. So for us, we want to focus on those because secondly, with those verticals as well is, there is a lot that you can get essentially steal from each one. So, you know, the strategies that work with a pet fruit brand in terms of retention also work very well with food. Equally can also work very well with health and wellness. So it's kind of saying for us, you know, look, it keeps us fresh in the sense that mm -hmm. we don't in one vertical i think that the, the difference for us is you know from us with competitors is that we really you know are only in this retention space we don't do anything with acquisition we know that acquisition is important and we you know we we guide our customers towards our partner agencies who can help them with you know their facebook ads their google ads but ultimately when a brand comes to us who say look well actually you know we're struggling with getting people to the site unfortunately that's not one for us we are, you know, 100% about saying, look, if you have a solid customer base already, but you feel that they're not spending enough or you know they're not spending enough, we're the agency to help. And do you work only with Shopify stores or is there any other website platforms that you'll work with? Yeah, so we, in, in terms of design and development, we only, we only work with Shopify and Shopify Plus stores. Having said that, though, one thing that, you know, we, we've done over the past, I would say, 18 months is, being very much more switched on to the marketplaces quite a number of our clients now are also operating on amazon on walmart on ebay and oh so you're you're helping them optimize their product listings on the marketplaces as well absolutely yeah because you know the, the thing is it's also i guess the interplay between each of those uh -huh. and obviously look, customers are smart you know they they look at the different marketplaces they look at the sites you know the, the direct d2c side of things and you know they're, they're looking for a good deal, the best service. So you have to make sure that what you're doing is kind of aligned across those. So that I think that's you know it's a tricky thing to have to do, but you know it's something that we we have to do with our clients now because ultimately each one of those different channels is important to them. And how does your fee structure work? Yeah, so our fee structure, the way that we work it is that we when a client comes to work with us we will have a 12-month agreement in place. What will then happen is that in the discovery phase, essentially we're looking at the data and we're going to say, right, we believe that we can get you from this LTV number to this LTV number in 12 months if we do these things at this speed. Now, what that will mean then is that there will be a monthly fee that we will then be paid by the client. 
Now, what the client can then say is, well, actually, look, guys, we, we can't afford to be at that budget, but we can afford to be at this level. Now, if that's the case, we can say to them, well, look, that's fine. Ultimately, the things that we're going to do, we're still going to do, we'll do on a slower pace. Equally, some brands will say, well, actually, look, we want to go faster, we want to there quicker. No problem, we can do that, but we just need to increase the budget each month so that we can get that number quicker. And that's really the way we work it. Ultimately, every client that comes to us, we are kind of saying, look, you know, in an ideal scenario, we need to do these things to get you to that number. And it's purely then about choosing the budget level from their perspective about how fast or slow they want to get there. Are customers hesitant with that annual contract? Um, if I'm honest with you, it's something that we, you know, we toss and turn with for quite a while about. And, you know, the majority of customers what they like about it is the fact that we, because we are looking at the annual number, they can actually do one or two things here. One is that they can sort of amortize that over the year and they can look at that against their overall budgets. But secondly, mm -hmm. it also gives them an opportunity to say, well, hey, look, if ultimately we are, are going towards that number, then everything that these guys do must be contributing towards growth of that number. So it makes it very clear from them in terms of what we're going to get to. So I think the key thing is it's, and I think this is what agents are very bad at doing is basically saying, look, here's where we're going to get you to, but you need to give us that time and that trust to be able to get there. But we are also going to communicate with you how we are going to be, how well we are doing towards that overall number. Um, but, you know, I think the, look, the the monthly, you know, month to month kind of contract thing, we've done that in the past. The tricky thing I think there is, you know, is that from a resourcing point of view in an agency, if you have the ability to leave, you know, essentially end of each month, that's very difficult to build up a team with because, you know, as, as if you get that flux, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to manage, you know, the cash flow of agency. But, you know, the other side of it is, you know, do you look at something where it's more of kind of a three month contract you know, I think on the email marketing side, that's something that we still do. But again, you know, it, it still gives you a little bit more time to say, well, actually, right, setting the expectation, expectation to the client from the outset, this is the length of time as a minimum we need to be able to show something that's going to come through to you that's going to be contributing to your bottom line. So I think it sets expectation right. And, and I think, you know, clients do generally get that. And how can an interested listener learn more about working with you? Yeah, fantastic. So I am very active on LinkedIn. Um, so it's Adam Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E. Uh, we also obviously have our website, blendcommerce.com. Uh, we've got a great newsletter that we put out each week, which is basically all the news and updates about Shopify uh, and the various things that are going on with Shopify partners as well. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap it up today? No, that's great, Andy. Just very, very much thank you for having me on. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Well, thanks for joining us again. Now, for listeners, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Adam or his agency, Blend Commerce, you'll find the links in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business, check out our all-new podcast resource center available at makeeachclickcount.com. We have compiled all our different past guests by show topic and included each of their contact information in case you would like more information on any of the services I've discussed during previous episodes. Well, that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. 
Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing. 